Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. The patient is the one that is going to get stuck in the middle. And at some point, they're going to suffer both financially and also in a way to be able to get care that is necessary to them. Welcome back to Healthcare Matters, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to help you make sense of complex healthcare economics and policy issues. He's Dr. Robert Popovian in Washington, D.C., pharmacist, economist, and chief science policy officer at the Global Healthy Living Foundation. And across the country in Seattle, Washington, he's Connor Mertens, one of our patient advocates and community outreach managers at the Global Healthy Living Foundation. And you know, as we get into season two of the podcast, we've been covering even more ground than before on everything you need to know about healthcare economics and policies. But before we get started, it is so important for us to make sure that you're also listening to the other great podcasts on the Global Healthy Living Foundation podcast network. Right. And you have a lot of options out there, but this week you can check out a new podcast called Getting Clear on Psoriasis with David Brandt. It's a podcast series about what it takes to live better with psoriasis, from experts who treat it to the patients who live with it. And you can find them all at the ghlf.org slash listen. All right. Well, let's take a look at one of the comments from our listeners. Rick Shigaki on LinkedIn says about our episode where we were discussing personalized versus precision medicine, a very well done podcast examining the synergy of combining personalized medicine with precision medicine. Thanks for your review, Rick. We invite you too to go to Apple Podcasts and write a positive review and leave an honest five-star rating. And wherever you're listening, Apple or Spotify, click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Terrific, Connor. How about we get into this week's episode? Let's get after it. Today, we're going to be talking about copay accumulator adjuster programs. I know it's a mouthful, but actually I saw a statistic that said about 80% of commercial health plans have these sort of programs in them. Many people don't know about them. Many people have heard of them, but don't know what it means. Yet so many people are affected by these. Robert, give us the breakdown. What is an accumulator adjuster program? So it's a great question. And not only the offering exists among insurers and the pharmacy benefit managers, but the employers more and more are picking them up and putting them in their benefit design. So what is accumulator program? It's really a program that it's been designed to keep the patient perpetually in the deductible phase. So when we have typical insurance, right, Connor, you and I have insurance that we have a deductible that we have to meet before the insurance starts paying for it. That deductible phase commonly requires an out-of-pocket cost that the patient has to pay. You and I pay for it, and then we get out of that phase and the insurance kicks in and starts paying for our medicines. So the Accumulate program prohibits any patient assistance program dollars that come from biopharmaceutical industry to apply to that deductible amount. What kind of things don't count towards? Are we talking about like copay assistance cards? How is this impacting patients negatively before we keep going? Right. Patient assistance programs are broad, right? So there are copay assistance cards, there's coupons, any kind of a direct help from the pharmaceutical industry that comes towards the patient to be able to afford their drugs. So any of those dollar amounts don't count towards the deductible. So in effect, it keeps the patient continuously in this deductible phase when they have to continuously pay for this out-of-pocket cost, whether it's coming through their pocket or through these patient assistance programs that the pharmaceutical industry is providing. 
So these coupons or copay assistance cards can help with the cost of the drug up front, but it's still costing patients in the back end with the deductible. Is that right? Or am I reading that wrong? You're correct. So they defray the cost of the out-of-pocket, but it used to be a time prior to these accumulator programs that these out-of-pocket assistance programs, these patient assistance programs would count towards the deductible, would get the patient out of the deductible phase, and that's when the insurance would kick in, and then the insurance company would cover the cost. Now, because the patient stays perpetually in this deductible phase because none of these patient assistance programs are counting towards any of their deductibles. They're forced to stay in this phase and therefore the insurance basically never ends up paying for any of their meds. Well, I mean, that that leads to my next question is why do these programs even exist? They must benefit somebody. And I'm assuming it's got to be the PBMs, the insurers, and like you said, now more commonly the employer, but how does it benefit these groups? How it benefits it is because it keeps the patient from reaching their deductible amount. And therefore, when the insurance doesn't kick in, that means the insurance company and the pharmacy benefit management company are off the hook and they don't have to pay for that medicine. Where in the past, where these patient assistance programs would count towards a deductible, the patient would meet those obligations, the dollar amount obligations. And after that, the insurance company or the pharmacy benefit manager was on the hook to be able to cover for these meds. So in essence, this is a benefit for the pharmacy benefit management companies and the insurers. And to some effect, you mentioned the employers because they no longer are exposed to paying for these meds. Who's most affected by copay accumulator adjuster programs? It has to be the folks that are spending exorbitant amounts on their drugs already. Sure, the patients are. But the question is, how are they being impacted? Are they being impacted because are they discontinuing their meds? Because the patient assistance program in pharmaceutical industry provides usually have caps. There's a certain amount they only provide. So are they being hurt because they meet the certain threshold and the pharma company no longer provides any more patient assistance program? Or are they indirectly being affected because of other issues with regards to out-of-pocket costs. So there's two ways that they can be affected. And yes, the patient is the one that is going to get stuck in the middle. And at some point, they're going to suffer both financially and also in a way to be able to get care that is necessary to them. Do you think that patients living with chronic disease are disproportionately affected by these sorts of practices? Yes. And the reason why is because of chronic disease, you're paying over a longer period of time than an acute disease. But no matter what, a patient is affected, whether they have chronic or acute disease. Because at the end of the day, when they are staying in the deductible phase, the pharma company will continuously support them through their patient assistance programs. They're never going to turn the patient away. And that's why you're seeing exorbitant amount of money being spent through these patient assistance programs by the pharma companies. So if I needed more support, the biopharmaceutical industry will keep feeding me the coupons and copay cards to be able to afford my medicine, even though it was basically keeping me in the deductible phase constantly. But there's an indirect effect on the patients, and that's what I was alluding to. In the past, when the patient met their deductible amount, at that point, they would go to see, for example, their physician or be hospitalized or would need a, an MRI or a CT scan. And those things would have already met their deductible phase, so the patient wouldn't have to pay anything out of pocket for them. But now, because they're staying in this deductible phase constantly, even though they're not being hampered from getting their drugs because the patient assistance program keeps fueling, providing money to them to be able to afford it, when they show up to the physician's office or being hospitalized or needing an MRI, they have to pay out of pocket. And therefore, they may be foregoing 
other treatments. So that's what my point was. Perhaps directly, they're not discontinuing their medicines. There's more to chronic care therapy than just pharmaceuticals. There's other things that patients need. They need to go see their docs. They need to get testing, sometimes get hospitalized. And those are the things that indirectly the patients no longer are able to afford and may forego, which may impact their outcomes. Right. And patients that are exposed to those sky-high out-of-pocket costs face threats to their financial security, but also their physical well-being. We do know that any barrier to accessing medication leads to a lack of adherence to that, you know, and it's never the patient's fault if they can't afford their drugs or medications. We have to figure out ways to make these drugs more affordable, which I think is a good next question. One thing that we always like to talk about is what's being done politically. I know that there's nearly a dozen states, maybe more, have taken action to limit or outright prohibit these practices. What else is being done? Is there anything done federally about this? Unfortunately, federally, no. And CMS took a pass at it. Initially, they tried to prohibit copay accumulator programs in the government Part D Medicare program for pharmaceuticals, but they actually reversed that and said that, no, we believe that if any plan wants to adopt copay accumulators, they may do so. That's the federal point of view. On the state level, as usual, and you know this because we've worked quite a bit in Global Healthy Living Foundation with states. We have the 50 state network that we have very close relationship with both our patients in the state level, but also policymakers on the state level. And what we have done is that through Global Healthy Living Foundation and other patient organizations have been able to successfully pass copay accumulator bans in certain states that they cannot be applied for that state population. And that's very important because by banning these copay accumulators, in effect, we're helping a group of patients that are receiving their insurance and their insurance is being controlled by the state rather than federally, which is a whole other issue. That's a large portion of patients that are going to be impacted by this. They are, but they leave out two large group of people that are not being covered by this type of bans. One is patients who get Medicare benefits through Part D because that's a federal program. And also the ERISA plans that are not regulated by state law because they're self-funded insurers and insurance plans that are funded by the employers and they're not governed by state law. And therefore, these type of bans do not affect them. In effect, yes, we are helping some patients, but not all patients. And remember, Connor, a lot of people who are, have chronic diseases are generally older. So if Medicare is not being impacted and accumulator vans are going on and accumulators are being adopted in those programs, it's a problem because they're the ones who are the high utilizers of these medicines. And again, I have to say, and this is very important. There is no evidence that the patients start discontinuing their therapies because of accumulators. And the reason being is that pharma companies will never let the patients fall through the cracks. They keep feeding this beast of patient assistance programs. It's the indirect medical services that get impacted. And with chronic disease, as I mentioned, there's more to management of a chronic disease than a pharmaceutical. It's all these other services that patients require. Right. And in that same vein, Robert, I read that there's anecdotal data showing there's not really evidence these bans in the states are raising premiums. Is that right? That is actually something I've also been privy to, and I've looked at it very carefully. 
and GHLF, Global Healthy Living Foundation, is going to take up a study that we're going to look at what is the impact of these accumulators in the states with regards to premiums. Because it's important to note, if premiums are not being impacted, then what's the point of not passing these bans and making sure that the patients are provided the security that they need? Well, you know, Robert, what I'm going to take away from this is that we really got to protect patients from high out-of-pocket costs. And one way to do that is by requiring health plans to credit all payments made by or on behalf of patients towards patient deductibles and out-of-pocket maximums. And that's not happening with these copay accumulator adjusters. But uh, as always, I want to make sure you get the last word in here. What, what should folks take away? You're absolutely correct, Connor. What you just observed is that patients are being hurt, not necessarily the way we anticipate them to be hurt, which is they're discontinuing their therapy because of these accumulator adjuster programs, but rather they're being hurt because unlike being able to go and being able to afford an MRI or seeing their physician or when they're hospitalized, they may be foregoing those services. And as I mentioned, there's more to management of a chronic disease than just a biopharmaceutical. We still need these other services to come together to help the patients. really hope that you've learned something from this episode. It's always our goal to be able to help you understand healthcare policy matters that may be complex. We'd love to hear from you as always. Please send your emails or audio clip to healthcarematters at ghlf.org. Thanks for listening to Healthcare Matters, a podcast that pulls back the curtain to help you make sense of complex healthcare economics and policy issues. And as always, we invite you to go to Apple Podcasts and leave one of those honest five-star ratings and write a positive review. It's going to help people like you find people like us. And wherever you're listening, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or the rest, click that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. He's Dr. Robert Popovian. And he's Connor Mertens, our patient advocacy manager who helps our patients every day. We hope to see you next time. Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. Thank you.